He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome in on this Friday afternoon. Not too hot out there today. In fact, we had some rain earlier this morning, and uh, it, out where I live in Collierville, man, nice breeze, uh, and it was cool. Felt kind of like fall. Uh, and then it, on the way in, uh, it was not bad. Still not bad out there. I think that's the end of the rain for today. We got a forty percent chance of precipitation tomorrow on Saturday, and again on Sunday. Uh, but uh, yeah, anything but more 100 degree temps and they were forecasting that for today uh and thank god it hasn't happened yet and hopefully we're on the downhill side of it we have a couple of accidents to tell you about we've got one uh that is at summer um avenue and stage road and then we've got another one that's over here on uh i-240 at covington pike so watch out for those two traffic accidents. Uh, some slowdowns uh, coming off the old bridge, uh, I-55, uh, onto I-240. And uh, that looks like the and about the only slowdowns we have right now. Do be careful. We have all our friends from all over the country, some 25,000 motorcycle riders that are bivouacking at the uh, Tiger Lane over at the, the Liberty Bowl this weekend. Um Sadly, uh, I think a couple of them were killed in motorcycle accidents the uh, night before last. Uh, so, uh, and I've seen several today in traffic. They're all over the area uh, exploring Memphis and dining at our restaurants and and um, hopefully having a great time. But please uh, be careful with them. Uh, they're not used to Memphis traffic, and we are, so we know how dangerous it is. <laughs> I think we got voted the worst drivers in Tennessee here uh, just a few weeks ago. Congratulations, Memphis, number one again. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, and a reminder, speaking of cars, I just saw a thing popped up on Facebook. November 7th, 2020, the price of regular gas, a buck 68. That's a dollar and 68 cents. And uh, for premium, it was a buck 82. I paid 322 at Costco day before or yesterday. And, uh, my brother, Greg, who's here with me in the studio today, uh, was driving in from Texas. They stopped on the other side of, um, of, uh, Forest City and paid, which pay, Greg? Uh, three fifty-nine three, again. Was that regular? Yeah. 3.59 regular. Headed toward four. Thank you very much, Mr. Biden. And speaking of that, uh, we were looking up on the, uh, Strategic oil reserve. Somebody had sent me a message said they had heard that uh, Biden had not pumped anything back into the strategic oil reserve. Well, I, I did some research. He has. He's put back in 6.5 million barrels. Remember, he took out 180 million barrels. The capacity for the strategic oil reserve is uh, right at 700 million gallons. Uh, they took out 180 million. He's put back in 6.5. With plans to put another 6.5 in real soon. <laughs> Just not sure when. So uh, don't be counting on that uh, strategic oil reserve or anything else. And if you'll remember why he did it, it was back during the midterms. 
that he was trying to get everybody to uh, vote in as many Democrats as they could because the economy was so good and gas prices down. And Bidenomics, they're really tallying those now, saying how great things are. While he's at the beach, the rest of us are paying $9 for a donut. Well, it's not that bad, but they ain't cheap. There's nothing cheap anymore. Um, and uh, the, uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? You got to keep going. And so you keep going. Uh, some local news. Uh, the Germantown Water Meeting was held last night at GPAC. And uh, we got some sound here that I think you should hear. Uh, Germantown re- resident says his water still smells like diesel fuel. Cut six. My water still smells like uh, diesel fuel. So there are a lot of online comments to that effect as well. So, Probably a dozen. And then the Germantown resident on the lack of communication from the city of Germantown. Cut eight. Uh, I don't know how to tell you all, but Facebook and text messages are not the answer. Most of the people that I know in Germantown are not subscribed to your text messages. You have a week's worth of people that have been asking you questions that have gone unanswered. It took me six days to get a reply from the Facebook page, which I do appreciate. I thank you for taking that time. The POA has talked about going through those seven days. It took you five days to do a press conference. Daily communication would have been preferred. This meeting today probably wouldn't have been needed if you had talked to us every day. Not that you need a good answer. We knew you didn't have a good answer. You, you didn't give us an answer. So that is the, we don't have a good answer. But in that lack of giving information, you left us in the dark. And that left room for so many people to make the wrong decisions about whether they were going to drink this water or not. You left room for conspiracy theories. How will this change? It needs to change. Having been the public information officer of the Shelby County Sheriff's Office and a news reporter in television news for almost 50 years, that gentleman is exactly right. Anytime you don't have information going out, uh, there is a vacuum. And whenever you have a vacuum of information, you have conspiracy theories, you have rumors, you have uh, angry people. Uh, the, what they should have done is a bit, almost given like every two or three hours even though it seems repetitious, there's always somebody that didn't hear it. Stay in front of the, the community. You got a crisis situation, and that was a crisis situation for every citizen of Germantown and really the entire area because we all know somebody that lives in Germantown. And so we were grieving for our friends and uh, offering our homes and our showers and our water for them um, during this crisis. And if there's any advice I could give you, it would if this ever happens to you again, uh, get out in front of it and stay out in front of it and uh, communicate. Uh, it, which always amazed me is uh, we're all in the communication business, and we have all this all these different ways of communicating. And we're still lousy communicators. <laughs> I mean, I used to tell that to people I work for in television. They used to not tell us stuff. It working the employees of the television station. I said. We're in the business. Communicate with us. Because then we got to communicate with everybody else when they ask you, what's going on at your station? We don't know. They're not talking to us. And then they, they expect us not to ask questions. That's what we do for a living is ask questions. And never feel bad about asking questions of your government. They work for you. And that was one thing I would give the sheriff's office when I was there. 
is that uh, they remind all the deputies, everybody who works for the sheriff's office, that we work for the citizens. And uh, always remember that. Treat all the citizens with respect. And uh, if they ask you questions, be polite, answer them. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of government employees uh, take on a feeling of superiority. I don't know where that comes from. but uh, it's definitely there. If you don't believe that, go to the county clerk's office and pick up your license plates. Uh, you ain't getting a lot of respect there, I can tell you that. And there's nobody to go to to say, I've got a problem. Uh, we had one other uh, soundbite I want you to hear. Germantown resident asked city of Germantown would take full liability for the water. Listen to this, cut nine. Um, are you guys willing to certify and take on full liability for the water that comes to and ends at our house before it comes in. Silence. It, that's a yes or no. Because if you're not, the only way you would is if you test continuously at our house. Because like he said, the diesel can't, hold on a sec. The diesel can't be cleaned out thoroughly with flushing. Only the, sol- the soluble part. What if the other part's in there and it's stuck in crevices, it's stuck in dead-end coves, you test at one point, and then the next day some of it releases and gets into the water. Can you certify and take on full liability for the cleanliness of our water at every single house? And I see the insafe gentleman smiling up there. Is that because you agree with me or because you have something to say? Me? Yes, sir. Not taking on that responsibility. Not, you don't have to. I'm talking city. <laughs> this, this is where we are at at this point, as I said earlier before I, the, the last slide. To try to provide as much assurance as possible, in the mainline distribution system, over the next month, we will be recommending all hydrants, whether it's coves or whatever it might be, would be flushed for extensive periods of time. Okay, and we will continue, city Administrator, before you keep going. And we will continue if, the testing If you continue to program. do that, though, that means that it's not safe right now. How can you certify and say that it's safe right now? You've told us we can drink it, but can you certify that and take on the liability that comes with telling us it's safe? Test the hole. I need an answer to that. I think we all do. The state regulates our water system, and the state has, has come back with a clean and clear determination that our water system can be used. I appreciate, I appreciate the canned response, but as a citizen, do you really trust what the state is telling us based on what I just talked about with your experts? It's just logic. I don't have to be a scientist to understand the issues. Well, you also have to understand uh, that uh, they ain't never going to give you a uh, we accept full liability of this. There's nobody in the world is going to do that, especially when you're looking at a disaster like this. I mean, the water heaters alone, we still don't have a really good answer on are your water heaters safe because you can't flush out your entire water heater. There's still going to be sediment down at the bottom, and if it's contaminated and you put more water on top of that, uh, that's contaminated water. And so... Uh, I've heard some people saying they're not going to cook or drink the water in Germantown for some period of time. My best advice for you is to follow that advice. Uh, bathing in it is one thing and washing your clothes is another. And, uh, watering your lawn is another, but drinking it or cooking with it is something that, uh, you know, 
only you could decide what you want to do. But uh, I always try to err on the safe side. And, and I'm still alive, and I'm 72, so it's been working so far. Um, and uh, so, uh, but you're not going to get anybody to accept full liability for anything anymore. Them days is over. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. And welcome back on a uh, Friday afternoon. We were talking during the break uh, about the situation in Carterville and about the lack of communications. I mean, and uh, I was talking to my brother-in-law, who's here in the studio with me, and we were saying that, you know, there's so many people that aren't on social media and they don't even watch the news anymore. And so how do you reach them? And uh, what I said, you know, in the old days, they used to have trucks that go up and down the street. Remember the movie The Blues Brothers? They had a whole police car with the big speakers up on the roof, and they would go up and down uh, promoting their concert that was coming up. And uh, the, But the, the Germantown Police Department, and all those uh, police cars have loudspeakers on them. They should go up and down the streets. If they ever have a crisis like this again, I say, here's how you can get information. Go, uh, Germantown has a YouTube channel. They broadcast that meeting last night on YouTube. Tell them how to get to YouTube. And also say, if you don't have information, you want information, come to the Germantown City Hall. We're going to have somebody there 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. Come there, and we'll answer any questions you have and, and man the post. And uh, but continually let people know how they can get the information. Uh, it is uh, your fiduciary responsibility to communicate with the citizens. That's one of your chief responsibilities, especially when it's a situation involving public health. And, uh, and I think you could also go to the news media and say, we're going to have news updates every four hours. And we expect you to come here to city hall and, and broadcast uh, you have a responsibility to the citizens of this community uh, for having a license that, uh, you serve the community. Part of that service involves public safety. And this is a public safety issue. They should have said we're having news conferences every four hours, and we want you to come uh, broadcast. If you don't, we're going to tell everybody who ain't here and then suggest that they challenge you for your license on the next time. Same thing with radio stations. I mean, that's one thing we're supposed to be doing is uh, looking out for you and and your, the safety of the public. To that end, uh, everybody's still murmuring, murmur, murmur, murmur about the uh, police Chief C.J. Davis, uh, who came to Memphis two years ago, where starting salary was 230000 a year, uh, which is pretty good. I mean, the, the governor of the state of Tennessee makes 198000 okay? Um, and uh, then this year, Davis received a total of $50,000 raise over the past two years. Uh, she now makes $280,000, $862.14. That's why in this picture, I guess she's smiling. I'd be smiling, too, if I was taking on that kind of cash. And if you'll remember, she was the one had her, her service revolver stolen out of her car the first few weeks she was in Memphis. was out shopping uh, and uh, came back to her car. Her car had been broken into, and her, and her handgun had been stolen. And where's the biggest uh, place that most guns are stolen from or people's automobiles for leaving them unattended uh, in an automobile? She says it was in a lockbox, so I guess they stole the lockbox as well. And then put that aside, she was uh, having a new house she was moving into. Somebody broke in there before she got in there, and they stole all the appliances out of it. This lady's made $280,862 a year. 
Uh, the sheriff, I promise you, does not make anywhere close to that. And he's got the entire county to look after. Her salary has climbed as turmoil has roiled the police department during the first two years of her tenure. The U.S. Department of Justice announced a pattern of practice investigation to the department this past uh, Thursday, yesterday, actually last Thursday, following the death of Tyree Nichols in January. The city also faces $550 million civil suit for Nichols' estate and mother. Davis' salary has climbed because the department's command staff also received the same pay bumps that the rank and file do. With a combined 19% in raises the Memphis City Council has passed the past two years, Davis and other command staff have seen their compensation rise. Davis also gets a 7.5% salary bump because she graduated college with a four-year degree, which rank-and-file officers receive as part of the Memphis Police Association's Memorandum of Understanding with the City. So no matter who gets a raise, she gets the same raise, the same percentage, Except when you start off with, uh, once you start off with at uh, two hundred thirty thousand, you get any kind of prestige raise. You're talking about some change there. Um, Davis runs roughly a two thousand officer department, which I think it's down maybe seven eight hundred officers. Uh, one of the most violent cities in America. She makes more than chiefs in much larger cities. However, Edwin Cabin, New York City Police Commissioner, makes two hundred forty two thousand. The department. Cabin overseas has 36,000 officers, okay? Chicago superintendent of police position makes 260,000. The city is in the midst of a superintendent search for roughly 13,000 officer department. Davis also makes more than the Metro Nashville and St. Louis police chiefs who make 257 and 275 respectively. Erica Shields, the Metro Louisville police chief, makes 238,000. So... In one of the uh, poorest cities in the the South, which Memphis is, and one of the smallest departments, two thousand members, and, uh, and she makes uh, more money than anybody. And then that goes in with what the superintendent of schools makes here, and it, it is a large, huge school system, uh, the Shelby County school system. But uh, the amount of money that person makes is uh, pretty amazing too. So um, the next time you sit there and you're trying to decide, do I buy bread or are we just going to skip bread and have um, wish sandwiches? We wish we had some bread because uh, things are tight around the house. Just remember what our police chief is making and you know, a lot of other uh, people out there. It is uh, interesting though. And then you have somebody like uh, the head of the County clerk's office, uh, Wanda Halpern, who um, makes, well over a hundred thousand a year and she's not even getting the job done and uh and you, they can't get rid of her cannot get rid of this woman i still understand that the the state says they at some point could come in and say that uh, she's not fulfilling her duties and remove her from office but i hadn't seen it happen yet and in the fact that the voters keep putting her back in just amazes me i mean we all have to deal with getting new license plates if you live in shelby county and the fact that people continue to put up with somebody that does not do their job. I mean, you wouldn't do that if you went to McDonald's and they kept giving you a hard time and it took an hour to get a, a Big Mac. You'd say, that person needs to be fired. Or you wouldn't go back. We just don't have that option. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the Trump situation. So stay with us.
And thank you very much, and welcome back on this uh, Friday afternoon. Of course, uh, yesterday, former President Trump uh, pled not guilty uh, in U.S. court. Trump called it a very sad day for America. He addressed the proceedings in a brief statement on a drizzly tarmac before boarding his plane back to New Jersey. Uh, He said, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. Trump said before boarding his plane for the return trip following his court appearance in Washington. Uh, Then we had this, I saw this today, and I thought it was very interesting. It was uh, an interview with a woman named Dr. Jan Halper Hayes, who was on UK News Channel in the United Kingdom. She's head of uh, the, the expats who are Republicans in Europe. Because they vote absentee, obviously, and so she's head of them. And uh, she was on this show talking about that uh, this really is all part of Trump's plan to expose just how corrupt the uh, the deep state and the Biden administration is, that we would never have believed it if he just told us. So he said, we had to let all this happen in order for you to believe it. Here's this interview. In the studio, good to see you, as always. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, there's so many people putting this down as a political conspiracy theory, but actually there are real questions to be answered here. There are? Yeah, of course there are. Of course there are. What he's being accused of, but what part do you think is to answer that the 2020 election is going to be re-litigated because of this? They've made a huge, huge mistake with this one because... Even though we thought what was going to happen was they were going to go after him for treason or sedition, but they did criminally charge him, but they didn't go to that extreme. As a result, he has due process so he can subpoena people and bring things in. Now, let me say something about this 2020 election is that. Biden is the legitimate president, but he's the legitimate president of what is now the bankrupt U.S. corporation. And that was a treaty in 1871. Well, on September 12, 2018, Trump created an executive order. Within that, he outlined in future elections any kind of foreign or domestic interference, specifically for the 2020 election. So we say, How did he know some of these things were going to happen? Election integrity on both sides of the aisle is tough. It's really tough. But what this has done is it's opened the door for Trump to present his case. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, because the, I mean, what we see on this side of the pond is a very difficult situation where the legal system is politicized in the United States, which is abhorrent to us over right. here. So the fact that Trump can subpoena, some people saying it's a mistake by Jack Smith, but actually he can subpoena, we, you, people can actually see evidence from both right. sides. That's a yes. sensible move. Exactly. And, and it's a great mistake by Jack Smith that he's done that. Absolutely great. See, the thing is, think about um, uh, Edward Snowden and all the information he had. Think about the fact that our military, our Department of Defense Space Force, if you think that they don't have the actual real results from the election, then you're fooling yourself. Yeah, but what we what we do know with this is there are we're told <clears throat> uh, uh, that there are plenty of notes from people, including Vice President um, Pence, that there are some recordings of of Donald Trump acknowledging 
that actually what he said in public was nonsense. That some of these states, whether he claimed he was in, out saying it's, I mean, look, Detroit, it's corrupt, it's all corrupt, the results are corrupt. And that when in reality he knew it wasn't, that's illegal. But you know what? That's what someone's claiming, but that's not the fact, and that's not what Donald Trump really has ever said. He's been very, very clear. I mean, the issues were, for example, in Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania stepped in and changed some of the election laws. Under our Constitution, it's only the state legislators that can do that. 2,000 Mules, the film that came out, what they did, they spent over four million tracking the phones. And the reason it's only 2,000 mules is that based on the visits to the drop boxes in Georgia, they had to have gone over 10 times. And they've got all the film for that. So the thing is that um, the election integrity is so different and so problematic in every single state, every single state. But that doesn't mean that the machines didn't do something, that there were some other kind of finagling, but the long and short... Go ahead. Well, it, it doesn't... But that's, that's where conspiracy comes in, is it? To say, well, it doesn't mean that something didn't happen. Well, there's no evidence that it happened. I well, mean, there's how many, how many court cases did the Trump campaign try to bring? There's, nothing's gone in his favour. Okay, wait a minute. Everyone, the media goes, oh, there were 60, 60 court cases that were rejected. No, there were three. He won two. He lost one. 57 were never heard because they had no standing. And standing means that the person bringing the case has to claim some kind of impact or injury. So it's really, you know, the media did that and they're great at doing that, but it, it was a fallacy in there. And the thing is that, um, you know, you know, I sit on a task force at the Department of Defense. And the thing is, they've got the goods. They've got the goods. And Trump knew that if he presented any of the goods early on, we'd have a civil war, that he really felt that the people needed to see how bad it could get. And that's the sense that we're getting from Trump's lawyer about what his defense is going to be. So he, this is all going to be based on free speech, the First Amendment in the U.S. Constitution, that he had a right to say what he believed. And mm -hmm. he believed uh, that the election results were not uh, as was put out. But the point is, if you live in a democracy and you believe in a democracy, then that means that even if you don't like the outcome of an election, you respect that. Because it's a democratic vote. Well, a, a democratic vote, and so therefore he should be silent about it. No, he, has a, he has a right to speak, but the issue, of course, is if he then acts to subvert that election result. Oh, so that because you think he's being criticized because in Georgia he said, can you find me 12,000 votes? Or, um, you know, the thing is, he didn't try to subvert anything. What he's really done is he set up the deep state to come out, and that's why we're seeing all these things. I mean, it just it was revealed with whistleblowers and um, Hunter Biden's ex-best friend that in 2015, um, the head of Burisma gave Joe and Hunter Biden 10 million bribe. In 2018, Hunter is, I mean, uh, Joe is on TV publicly saying that he threatened that unless they got the prosecutor fired,
that um, he wasn't going to let them have their one billion in support. In 2019, Trump calls Zelensky to find out about what went on to get the prosecutor fired, and he gets impeached. Mm. I mean, that's we've lived with it for a long time. Brother, that's, that's, we're almost at a I just want to pick you up on one thing. You said earlier on, you know, um, Donald Trump has been very clear on this. Is he a man that you believe? I mean, look, he's about as believable as a chocolate teapot, isn't he? Look, I know that, oh, thank God you got the negativity in at the end and not the beginning. <laughs> I can always count on you for that. Always. Um, but it's a legitimate point to say that Donald Trump is a man who always speaks the truth. That can't be the case. I mean, it's hardly the case of any leader, to be fair, but, I mean, definitely not Donald Trump. Well, I don't know if I said everything or always, because I do call him the embellisher-in-chief, because he's mm. a marketer. Um, but in terms of telling us things, optics, you better believe that he's very much a straight shooter in terms of actions that he's going to take or what he thinks needs to be done. You know, they made fun of him because they assumed he broke protocol and walked in front of the queen. No, if you go back and look at it, you will see he looked at her. She gave a wave with her hand. He proceeded. She took a couple of steps, he stopped, and he waited for her to join. That was an optic to tell us that he then was going to bankrupt the U.S. corporation because it was the Vatican, the Crown, and the U.S. that was part since 1871. And we were giving you our tax dollars. We were paying back. You know, we, forget this Tea Party and without taxation, without representation. We owed you a lot of money because you helped us in the Civil War. And so that is what Trump has now, he told the queen, I'm ending this. We're dissolving this corporation. We're going to go back to being a republic and we'll all be separate. The Pope wasn't happy. You should find the picture of him visiting the Pope. It took 650 planes to remove our gold from the Vatican Bank. I'm not very happy about it, Jan, to be perfectly honest. We could do with your money at the minute. <laughs> Keep it flowing, I say. Um, Jan Halberhage, really good. There you are. I thought it was a very interesting interview, um, and I'm, I'm sure we will not hear the end of that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, a couple of more sound bites about Trump. Uh, this is uh, one uh, after the, he left Washington. You'd think that you'd go through that, and you'd go home and uh, have a stiff scotch, that, except he doesn't drink. Uh, but he did go the, back to his country club there in uh, New Jersey and crashed a wedding reception. Uh, cut two. Uh, 
We were just talking about that uh, that Trump with everything, and the, the woman in the interview, Doctor uh, Jan Halper Hayes, was saying that he's a promoter. He's a, he's a marketer. That he does. Everybody, she's the most beautiful bride you've ever seen. This is the best party that he's ever been to, and uh, you know it was a great trip back from D.C. Can't be any happier about being back here. That's who he is. In the meantime, you've got um, MSNBC's Doris Kearns Goodwin saying, we need to organize the country so that Trump cannot win. Are you seeing anything here that would suggest that there are other Republicans, real ones that matter, not just the occasional lonely voice? They're going to push the party and Donald Trump to move past this in the next election? Yeah, it's still so hard to accept that. I mean, I thought after January 6th, when you saw McConnell speak, when you saw McCarthy speak, that that was going to be the beginning of the leadership turning against him. And then somehow, somehow it's not happened. And it can't just be a few of them. And we got to figure out when is that going to happen? When is it going to break? And maybe the more this thing becomes clear what was done. You've got to believe that rational thought will come back in the minds of some of these people. But if not, then it's going to take the overwhelming organization, just as you were talking about earlier, organizing the country at all the levels so that he cannot win that election. If the party will, will not depart from him, then the, he has to be defeated and the, depart, the party has to be defeated. And then uh, in this interview with Tucker Carlson and never before aired footage uh, from Tucker Carlson's interview with Stephen Sund who's the former chief of the Capitol Hill police, uh, says January 6th was crawling with feds. Talk about organization. Sun details that there were at least 18 FBI undercover agents, plus another 20 agents from DHS. In over 30 years as a police officer, Sun says he's never seen that number of undercover agents across multiple government agencies for similar events. Sun also details how the FBI broke with past protocol and did not brief him on the presence of undercover agents on January 6th, nor was that intel given to him in a joint intelligence bulletin. Sun was fired immediately following January 6th by Nancy Pelosi. The question is why? Why didn't Nancy Pelosi and others accept Trump's offer of 10,000 National Guard troops ahead of the January 6th uh, gathering? Why didn't they brief him on intel assets in the crowd? You just see more and more stuff, and you're going to hear more and more about that, especially if they can present evidence at this trial about who was there. And they, the FBI has to come forward and testify because up till now, all they said is, we can't go into that. Those are details we can't share in this setting. Da 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 Well, the reality of the situation is um, you get under subpoena, and, and the same thing with the impeachment uh, uh, trials on Biden. They have much more wider range of uh, subpoena power at the House with the, an impeachment than they would just uh, in a House Oversight Committee hearing. So they'll be able to uh, go after a lot more information. And it's like the guy that uh, was up there with the bullhorn telling everybody to get inside the Capitol, go in. Say, you know, he's now suing everybody, Trump and different uh, Fox Network, saying that he was somehow involved of it. He was. They got him on tape saying charge in there. And then and they claimed he was an FBI. Then why wasn't he charged with anything? Everybody knew who he was. They had his name. Never been charged. Never even been questioned by the FBI. So there's something rotten in Denmark. And uh, and uh, I just think that uh, the more that comes out, there's a thing called unintended consequences. And I'm really hoping that happens in this situation because they all – have done all this thinking this is how they're going to, as this woman just said, you heard her, 
that they got to do whatever they can to stop him from ever being president again. They are desperate because they're afraid if he gets in again, he's going to really uh, come in and uh, get rid of all the bad stuff. Should have done it the last time when he was in, but he kept thinking he, he could work with these people. Uh, and I think most of us would have that kind of attitude. Once they get to know me, they'll like me, and uh, we'll get to make, move this country forward. No matter what he did to help the country, they fought him tooth and nail. I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. There's as many rotten people that are Republicans there is on the Democratic side. They're all in it for themselves. They go there to get rich. Whoever left Washington, D.C. broke. It would be an honest man. I'd, I'd put it to you that. If they left broke, it's because they weren't corrupt. Because everybody goes to Washington and comes back loaded. And uh, it's... Uh, there's one more bite I want you to hear. This is uh, Liz Peek on... Biden being just a nasty man. Cut their. Oh, you don't have that? Uh, we we got to go. We'll, we'll, we'll go there right after the break. Stay with us. Oh, you, that is not time for the break. <laughs> okay. That means he said keep talking. Okay. Uh, but the whole thing is, is we're going to hear more and more about this and the, and the fact that Trump is not in a deep depression right now. I should tell you something. I mean, anybody that goes through this uh, would be saying, man, I've been indicted again. And what am I going to do? Instead, he goes to a wedding party and they're all chanting USA, USA. Did you hear him chanting for Biden at the beach? No. We'll be back. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. Uh, thank you very much. Welcome back. Uh, we were talking a minute ago about Tucker Carlson. It's his new uh, show that he's dropped, the first of two parts, on January 6th. And uh, the interesting thing about it is this is the interview that he was going to air when Fox fired him and then hid the, the show and wouldn't let it air. This is it. And he's interviewing the police chief of um, the uh, Capitol Police Chief who was in charge of uh, security and the police chief uh, hadn't, uh, his name is uh, Stephen Sun, Capitol Hill police chief, uh, told Tucker Carson that there was a fair amount of law enforcement in the January 6th crowd. In footage exclusively obtained by the National Pulse, the bombshell news follows revelations that Sun had called the events surrounding the Capitol riot a cover-up adding his concerns over provocateurs like Ray Epps. That's the guy I was talking about a minute ago that had the bullhorn and uh, was telling everybody to charge in and go in and t- knock down those eggs, attack them. Over halfway through the interview, hidden by Fox News following Tucker Carlson's firing, Sun explains that it's normal for Secret Service, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, to have a few undercover assets in large crowds gathering in the nation's capital. But the 18 or so FBI agents present, plus an estimated 20 for the Department of Homeland Security investigations, was remarkably high. Sun stunningly reveals within a few days of January 6th, I had media reach out to me and say, hey, you're aware of the FBI had undercovers in the crowd. I was like, oh, no, they would have told me. I had Steve D. Antonmano, the head of the FBI Washington field office, on a call the day before, 
and didn't say anything about it to me. And now I see, see allegedly, according to the GAO report, they had 18 operatives in the crowd. That's a lot of operatives. The Capitol Hill top cop, forced out by Speaker Nancy Pelosi in the aftermath of January 6th, went on to explain that during the incidents like IMF protests in 2000 and the Bush inauguration, it was commonplace for his department to have intelligence briefings with the FBI alongside a joint intelligence bulletin. None of that happened for January 6th, son explained. No conference call. I will say this, that when I was with the sheriff's office, when anything was going down, when they took over the bridge, uh, we had meetings with the Tennessee Highway Patrol, the mayor's office, the governor's office. Uh, we knew exactly who was in town, uh, what assets we had, and that's commonplace. When anything goes on, they call in all the law enforcement, uh, the, the head of the government, and everybody's in a meeting, and they're all uh, privy to the information that's out there. And the fact that uh, 10,000 troops were offered by Trump, and now they're all saying, no, we didn't hear that. That's because nobody was talking to everybody, which only makes it even look even worse. And he said none of that happened for January 6th. Tucker Carlson pressed Sun for further clarification. You think 18 is a lot for that kind of event? I think so, replies Sun, adding that the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, has 20 HSI operatives in the crowd several thou- of several thousand. Sounds like a number of the intelligence agencies had resources in the crowd, Sun asserts, to which Carlson responds, in the parlance of the Internet, it was crawling with feds. There were a fair amount of law enforcement in the crowd, Sun replies. In over 30 years of service in the police, Sun says he's never seen anything like that in terms of sheer numbers of undercover operatives from across the government. I do know, and I remember seeing video of these guys, uh, the reporters walking up to them. They're staying around in groups by the Washington Monument before the rally even started, and they're all dressed in khakis, got the same shoes on, got the same wristwatches on, wearing golf shirts with a tight and high haircut, and staying around talking to each other, not the rest of the crowd mingling around. And it's like, they walked in, you guys are feds, right? You undercover? Oh, no, no, we're we're here from Detroit. <laughs> Everybody knew. I mean, you can look at them. You know when they're undercover cops. Even when they would, uh, you know, wear ponytails and you know, try to blend in with the, the bikers. The bikers always knew who the undercover people were. You know, it's, uh, so you're not fooling anybody. And so the, play, the place was crawling with them. And everybody knew they were all over the place. And that's why they were going up to this Ray Epps. And it's on camera. He said, you're a fed, aren't you? You're a fed. And he kept saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because <laughs> he wasn't. He may have been a contract employee, but he wasn't an actual fed. So maybe he wasn't lying. But we do know he was never questioned by the feds. He was never arrested. And everybody knows who he is. In fact, he's even filing lawsuits against people for saying he was uh, somehow involved in all of it. But you can catch that interview with Tucker on uh, Twitter or now X. I guess since they took made him take the X off the building, is it still considered X, even though uh, nobody wants to <laughs> another another deep state thing? Marketing. Yeah, I think you're right. My brother-in-law said that's a marketing ploy, and it was. Uh, he's a he's he's as brilliant as Trump is by getting people to talk about him. All you got to do is do something outrageous, and everybody's talking about you. And I said, "Well, don't talk about him. You're just doing what he wants you to do." <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. That's how it works. I do know that I was talking to somebody that had to go to Portland for something, and they said that Portland is absolutely ruined. 
the graffiti is everywhere, homeless drug addicts everywhere. And and today I understood that in New York City, they're moving the homeless into Central Park. So if you live in, around Central Park, that's the most high-priced uh, uh, real estate in New York because everybody wants to live near the park so you can leave your mansion and go walk around the park and lay on the sun and enjoy the country, living without them, go to the country. Now, now they're moving people out there in tents, so these homeless people, and God knows what's going to happen after that. Also, understand that on Long Island, they're setting up some big soccer fields or building big tented things there. They've got something like 90,000 people that have been uh, arrived in New York since uh, the, the governor of Texas started shipping them out. And he says, I'm going to keep shipping them out because New York didn't care. They wanted to be a sanctuary city in name only. But when they all started arriving, they went, whoa, they're putting them up in luxury hotels. And so that made all the rest of them want to go there. Hey, because they all talk to each other on their free phones that we're giving them, we're paying them. And they're telling each other, hey, come to New York, man. They're putting us up in um, near Central Park and these hotels. We got room service. We got uh, air conditioning. And man, this is the life. They're feeding us. So more and more of them keep coming. Well, now they've run out of hotels that were empty and they got no more money. And so the mayor of New York City saying that demanding that uh, Biden send him some more money because he can't take care of all these people. But Biden's not at work. He's at the beach. <laughs> eating more ice cream, mommy. And uh, I don't think he will be answering anytime soon. But the the homeless situation in this country, and it's in every city, it's in every uh democratic run city you look at uh, baltimore i got friends that go to baltimore and it used to be a, a really neat city although pepper rogers who used to be the coach of the memphis showboats and was a coach at georgia tech and and ucla great guy uh god bless him he's gone now uh he got mugged when they were there with the showboats playing a game he comes walking out of the hotel <laughs> gets mugged right on the streets of baltimore and that's been 30 years ago and it's just a toilet now Philadelphia is a toilet. New York City's a toilet. Chicago's just awful, which is a shame. I love Chicago, and I think it's just terrible what that city's turned into. I really haven't heard bad things about St. Louis lately. I, I, I haven't talked to anybody that's actually been there. San Francisco, we know what that's like. I'm, I went there years ago, and it was an incredible city, and, and that was a great place to go, but uh, ain't nobody singing. Uh, I left my heart in San Francisco now. They may have lost your drugs there, but uh, not your heart. In Portland, Seattle, they're gone. And unfortunately, uh, where I went to school, University of Texas in Austin, Austin, I hear the homeless are really bad there. And Dallas, you got homeless living under underpasses uh, near downtown Dallas, which is a very high rent area. And you can know the last thing they want is to see a bunch of homeless people down in the high price area where all the great restaurants and stuff are because they end up spilling over into that crowd. And there's nothing like seeing a drug-addled uh, crackhead passed out on the sidewalk uh, in downtown Dallas. But downtown Dallas is a Democratic-run city now. And so there you are. That's what's going to happen. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, the uh, Tom Lee Park situation. So stay with us. And welcome back on a Friday, Friday, Friday afternoon. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the uh, Tom Lee Park uh, damage estimate now is uh, $1.4 million. I mean, it sounds like a rock group spent the night there. At, uh, how do you do that much damage to dirt and grass? 
but that's what they're saying. The Memphis River Parks Partnership has sent a 1.425 million list from Tom Lee Park damages to Memphis and May International Festival. Now, the damage is a result of the festival's two signature events, the Beale Street Music Festival and the World Championship Barbecue Cooking Contest held back in May. And there was some doubt that it even take place, and it was back and forth, back and forth. They argued over, well, how much deposit are you going to have to put down? And, and the mayor, Strickland, kept saying, I'm not going to get in the middle of this. I'm not going to negotiate this in the media. Stop asking me questions and let them work it out. Finally, they decided that they would come up with a, a damage deposit uh, that would cover 750000 in damages. And the festival would pay the remaining $675,000 in the terms of the agreement. Both sides reached this past February, and the Memphis City Council subsequently approved. The balance payment is due within 10 days of the notification, which I think was Wednesday. In a statement of the damages obtained by the Daily Memphian, it was sent to the festival at the close of business Wednesday uh, after review by the city administration. According to the summary, there were 252 incidents of damage to the park during the Memphis of May, including grease was found in the boxes housing the park's irrigation system controls. I mean, think how subjective this is. I mean, it'd be like if uh, you were, had lived in an apartment, you had to put your deposit in, and you moved out, you vacuumed the place, you've gone, you cleaned out all the cabinets and swept out and, and pick, fixed any holes you punched in the wall. Then, then the owner comes in, he starts looking around, he goes, what about this grease around the commode down at the bottom of the line? That's about $3,000 worth of damage. Well, so who gets to decide that it's $3,000 worth of damage? The owner does, which in this case is the riverfront, uh, uh, what do you call them, the river parks partnership is the official name. So then they said the irrigation systems themselves were damaged by inappropriate staking of tents. The last time I checked, I mean, I've camped out most of my life and most of the tent stakes I've put in the ground were like six to eight inches long. And they say that uh, the entire uh, irrigation system was uh, damaged by inappropriate staking of tents. Charcoal was improperly disposed of and caused dumpster fires. The last time I checked, a dumpster is a self-contained steel container. Now, in fact, when I used to cover the barbecue over the years for Channel 3, then Channel 5, and Fox 13, there were fires all the time in the dumpsters. Because the guys go in, they dump their, their, their ashes in the dumpsters. There's other stuff in there. It catches on fire, and they run over there, and they squirt it out. So where's the damage? To the inside of the of the big dumpster, I'm you know what do you say burned off the blue paint, charcoal improperly disposed of. Park pathways are damaged by grease and oil stains that took numerous pressure washings to remove, and I find that doubtful as well. Lawns and pathways were damaged by vehicles, some of them heavy equipment driving off of the approved travel paths. You're driving off the approved travel path. I mean, in years before, there were no travel paths except one that went all the way the length of the park, and the rest of it was all grass. And every year, they never put in paid more than five hundred thousand, five hundred seventy-five thousand in damages to replace all of the of the uh, sod. The whole park was replaced every year for five hundred seventy-five thousand. Um. The report's general conclusions are lawns, landscapes, pathways, and park irrigation system were extensively damaged during Memphis and May. 
The load-in, load-out of the World Championship Barbecue Cooking Contest was especially grievous and damaging the park. As the music festival began, its load-in, the park's 80% complete. The $62 million redesign will be fully complete and unveil September 2nd will be the formal opening. The agreement included a third-party arbiter to assess the condition of the park before the Bill Street Music Festival, which is held May 5th through the 7th, again after the music festival, and a third time after the barbecue fest. So they did use a third-party arbiter to come in and look at it. The arbiter approved the itemized list of needed repairs but did not estimate the cost. Here's where the rub comes in. Uh, Montgomery Martin Contractors, a general contractor on the park's redesign, set the dollar amount and will repair the damages. You know what that's like? <laughs> you tell me if you've ever, if you're a homeowner and you hire a contractor to come in and tell you how much it's going to cost to fix stuff, and then he comes back and tells you that's going to be seventeen thousand dollars to put these shrubs back in and put some tops on. You go, that's way too high. I'm not paying that. But in this case. He's already been hired to do it, and so he tells them how much it's going to be. And then the Park River Commission, they go to the to the Memphis and Bay and say, this is what the, the price tag is. So, well, yeah, they did use an arbiter, but then the, that was the end of the arbiter's job. Now it's a contractor telling you how much something. Who, how many times have you had a contractor make a bid on a job? And this is a no-bid job. If whatever he says it is is what they're going to pay. With this business, business Specific damage repairs for the park's lawns could change over time as MRPP, which operates Tom Lee on behalf of the city, waits to see if some of the damage areas will grow back or if they will need to be replaced. What do you, what do you think the chances of that are? Per terms of the agreement, the damage deposit is part of the specific rental agreement between MRPP and the festival was funded with 500000 for the city and 250000 for the Memphis of May. If repairs costs rise above seven hundred fifty thousand. The festival has to pay the overrun. Jim Holt, Memphis and May president and CEO, said in August of twenty twenty two that in order to use Tom Lee Park, MRPP had presented Memphis and May with a required damage deposit of one point four million. Isn't that interesting? That the deposit they first asked for was one point four million. They agreed on seven hundred fifty thousand up front, and when the damages come in, it's how much? $1.4 million? What a coincidence. That's how much they asked for in the very first place. The price was substantially more than what it's said to be paid in the past. In fact, in the past, it's even less than I thought it was. I thought it was $500,000. Um, this is 26 times the amount we historically paid. We've been paying an average of 53000 a year. I always thought it was 500000 Holt said during a Memphis and May annual meeting, August 25th. At the time, Carol Coletta, who I've had on the show, uh, president and CEO of MRPB, called Holt's assessment a sad misrepresentation. <laughs> well, who's, who is she to say it's a sad misrepresentation? She wasn't part of Memphis and May. She wasn't around for all those years. She said in the partnership later dropped the figure to 375000 She said the partnership later dropped that figure to 375000 offered ways to reduce the damage by changing load-in logistics and infrastructure, dismantling for Memphis and May events. Those ideas included marking or blocking off areas over the park's new irrigation system and moving some barbecue tents to Riverside Drive's park border. The festival dropped the number of barbecue teams in the contest by 150 teams. Uh, they, they also completely canceled out the patio porkers division and moved that to Bill Street. 
Uh, the Downtown Memphis Commission, which oversees and operates Beale Street for the city of Memphis, operated Patio Porker this year. MRPP also said it was spending 320000 to help mitigate the damage by fencing off certain park areas. And on, on top of that, uh, they also uh, used uh, crime tape that Memphis and May put up because I, I had Carol Collette on the show, and I said, well, I understand part of the park was uh, actually blocked off and people couldn't go there. She said, well, we didn't do that. That was, that was uh, the Memphis and May folks. Also in August, Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland said he would not mediate an agreement between the two parties. Consistent bickering between M- Memphis and May and MRPP is not acceptable and does not achieve positive results for Memphis. <laughs> Sounds like you're talking about your kids. This bickering has got to stop. Uh, I will not negotiate any agreements to the media, Strickland said. The administration also included a July 25th email from the city CEO, Doug McGowan, who's now head of MLGW, with the same message, indicating the standoff had been going on for some time before it surfaced in August. In the email to the chairs and boards of each organization, as well as Holt and Coletta, McGowan wrote through a series of letters, and, and, and they ended up finally agreeing on it. Now it's going to be $1.4 million. All right. We're going to talk about swimming with the alligators coming up next. We got uh, Randy Wright at the dive shop. This sounds like fun. And thank you very much and welcome back. Uh, joining me in studio right now is uh, my good friend Randy Wright with the dive shop. And uh, we're talking about, and I'd never seen this before until I saw something this morning on Facebook. This uh, scuba diver is in the water with an alligator yeah that's all ai you know that's all that artificial intelligence just putting that together i know <laughs> I, I mean i i know green screen stuff yeah. when i see it <laughs> absolutely yeah no it's it's a thing these days they're doing a lot of it in, on the south coast of cuba at a place called garden of the queens um most of the big underwater photographers have been down there shooting with them and that kind of stuff and and I, you know Everybody thinks that they they attack everything, and and you know you hear the stories of them grabbing the dog and and people and people. swimming in Florida. Golfers yeah. going out for a round of golf by themselves. They pass somebody else, and then they never come to the clubhouse. There you go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean there is the potential for an attack like that, but it it doesn't happen often, and certainly there's tons of encounters with with wildlife all the time that don't result in something like that. And if you look at the pictures, you know, they're getting up real close. Of yeah. course, they've got a camera and those camera housings are heavy and they're, yeah, I mean, you can hit something with them and, and do some damage. Um, but I think that the, the animals are not, they're not in a feeding mode. This is not their common. You are not on the menu <laughs> is really the way that it goes. So as you approach in that kind of thing as a diver, you're fairly large. If you look at those pictures, the divers are bigger in most cases than the than the crocs that they're easing up on. Um, so well, not in that case. That that thing. Well, that's that's perspective. That but he's right. right up he's in the, in the front the, of the he's picture. in the foreground, and the yeah. divers in the background. And he could he looks like he's got a full belly. He could be you know he stopped off at the all you can eat buffet. Yeah. And, uh, well, they live there. on the buffet, so they can, <laughs> you know, and they're they're creatures of of opportunity. So I mean, a, a diver is a big thing that they would have to deal with and potentially fight, but you know, possibly be injured. Whereas a a fish or something else that's injured swimming around is a much easier, tastier meal. So what you're saying is 
crocodiles and alligators are a lot like criminals. They're going to take the uh, point of least resistance. <laughs> yeah. They're looking for the the old man with a cane going down the street as opposed to some big strong guy that's walking down. Yeah, the street. I think that goes to lions and tigers and bears as well. You know? <laughs> Like, unless you're messing in there around their nest, in yeah. Which case, then, then, it, then if it's mama, yeah, mama's mom, upset. Mama's got, is a whole different story. Then, well, I just I I look at it and I sit there and because I, I love there'll have to be stuff and we've talked about this before uh, in the South Pacific where all these uh, tanks and half tracks that were oh, yeah. lost uh, when they were trying to make uh, invasions. And they're still down there. Oh, yeah. And you can swim down there and uh, swim around in them and swim look inside the tank. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, one of the, the biggest ones is Truck Lagoon, and they caught the Japanese merchant fleet. The The naval ships got away. There was a flyby scout in the thing. Uh, but they went in there and sank in, in a very short period of time, over 100 vessels. Wow. In this one small area. And many of those are in less than 100 feet of water. And you can swim, you can see all of the war supplies, whether it's sandals or sake or machine gun bullets or zero engines or tank turrets or whatever it is, you 500-pound bombs, yeah. whatever it is you want to see, it's there. you just swim from hold to hold wow. in these ships. And it's amazing. Do they salvage any of that stuff? Or, or is it uh, late at night, you'll hear loud explosions <laughs> where the locals have gone in and taken one of the bombs and set it up to, to stun fish. Oh, the uh, fish all float yeah. up. Yeah. But long ago, it was set aside as a marine sanctuary type of thing because if you know if you let everybody take something, pretty yeah. soon there's not much. Well, even you go to uh, any of the national parks, they say don't even pick up the rocks. Sure. Well, and that's that's what this is. I mean, the 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 locals have realized that their major source of income is tourism these days. So don't take the reason that people are coming away. No. Absolutely. In fact, I saw a piece on CBS Sunday Morning News this past weekend on. This uh, these uh, treasure hunters that finally got permission from the Bohemian government to come down there and start salvaging because that's what they do. They got the equipment, they got the expertise, they got the people, and the people the Bohemian government didn't have it, and they they kept petitioning them said, "Let us help you, man. You will split the profits." Well, I was on that wreck for a number of years. Really, Herbo Humphreys and Marex actually had possession of that that wreck. Yeah, and they. they basically had done quite a bit of salvage and had uh, millions of dollars in recovery that were in a warehouse in the Bahamas. And the government came in one day and said, ours. it's ours. Yeah. yeah. So cool. what these guys have done is they, they're, they're doing it for the government. Right. They're not trying to take anything. The guy that's financing this is doing it because it's fun for him. So that's, that's what's changed. So they're not keeping any of the stuff they find? Uh, I don't think so. So they just turn it over to them, and, but are they paying? Well, I them? think he's got his own museum that is belongs to the government. That they're you know they're doing all the correct things and preserving the artifacts and all that stuff, but all of the recovery is the property of the Bahamian government. Are there other because it, it, what's down there close to the, the Bermuda Triangle, and uh, you've got. All those wrecks you hear about there, but are there still some treasure hunt uh, treasures to be found around oh, the world? Absolutely, yeah, around the world. I mean, I work uh, not closely, but for a number of years. And Bob Marks was an advisor to what we're doing. He's written several books. He's passed away now, but there are active treasure 
situations going on all over the world. Um, and you know, there is, there are still pirates in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, so you still have that kind of issue, but there's lots of, of knowledge about that. You know, the, like the Spanish treasure galleons, they have a manifest when they left South America headed back and they know a large portion of what's on the wreck. What was manifested was any coinage or, or bullion or bulk gold and so forth like that. The reason that a lot of that was converted into jewelry is that was not taxable by the crown. Ah. So if you came and spent several years in South America working. Made uh, a lot of jewelry. Yeah, you made a lot of jewelry. <laughs> you had a lot of your of your payroll turned into jewelry and that kind of stuff. The emeralds, the gold jewelry, all of that is about hiding that from the crown in terms of taxation. Well, because they had some of the jewelry that had been recovered from that. And Herbo may have, that may have been some of the stuff you oh, guys yeah. worked on. This necklace, the integral work of this chain necklace chain, mm-hmm. and each link in that chain was all these p- pieces of, of gold that were the same pattern all the way through this oh, chain. Yeah. This chain was like five feet long. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. I mean, you look at the gold and emerald jewelry and things yeah. that, were, that was on that particular wreck. Um, I mean, if you just search it, you'll come up with a lot of it. It's just like the Atocha. Um, that particular wreck has been there and had been one that's been several different people have held rights to that particular wreck. Uh, the Maravilla has gone through several hands. Um, so, and, and generally the government at some point or another, you know, just comes in and says, well, you're done. Well, and I know that, uh, in Mexico and a lot of other countries in Central America, uh, they'll come down and build refineries and stuff. Somebody else, Shell, Phillips, somebody and sure. then they walk in, we're nationalizing your refinery. Yeah, exactly. It's time for you to leave now. Thanks thanks for all this. Yeah. You take your people and go home. And and, and you have no choice. You just, just pick up and go. Yeah. Uh, but it is uh, it is amazing. And it, they said that we the reason we keep finding things is because the ocean floor keeps changing and moving. It's like sand dunes out in West Texas where I grew up. Yeah. Those sand dunes move. Well, and the other thing that people don't realize is that they're finding stuff. They're in... in 20 to 30 feet of water, but they're also blowing 20 to 30 foot deep holes in Ah. the sand in order to uncover this stuff. And and what happens is you blow this big hole and you look down there and and you can see the old coral reef formation. So you can see all of the, the patterning and the different holes and nooks and crannies from the old reef that has been just over covered with with sand. Yeah. And so how do you know when you're actually on top of where some of the treasure could be? Well, it's a lot of metal detectors. It's a lot of following trails. Um, now, of course, there's a lot of sonar and things yeah. that I'm sure is being utilized in this particular case. So you're looking for patterns. Uh, you start to find something. You go in one direction. It kind of goes away. So you go in the other direction, and all of a sudden there's more of it. Um, then you start blowing holes and, and it, it, it's, it's a big endeavor. It's a lot of money to do. It's very expensive to do. And the recovery is very tenuous. Um, you know, it's not something that you want to, I, I used to peddle investments, you know, Hey, you want to be a part of a treasure wreck type of thing? And it's like, you only can do that to people that have a lot of money that they can afford to lose. You know? Yeah. Because the first question I have is how much you go, I don't think you could afford it. Yeah. Well, it's the other thing is like, well, how much can I expect to recover? Yeah, yeah. You know, the answer to that is we don't have any idea, really. We got no guarantee. Yeah. 
There's no guarantee at all. All right, we got uh, Randy Wright with us from the dive shop. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back on a Friday afternoon. We're talking treasure hunting with uh, Randy Wright with the dive shop. And, and Greg, how many wrecks are there out there? 5,000 worldwide? So that Robert Marks. Yeah. Bob Marks discovered 5,000. Yeah, oh, that one is, guy. Bob Marks, uh, yeah. Uh, He's kind of the king of that stuff. Yeah, that's a lot of wrecks. Bob would, it, I was with him one time. He was walking to Herbo's office, which was over in Clark Tower, right? And as he was walking through the parking lot, he found $3.87 worth of change. I mean, he's just like, and, and somebody said something to him about it. He goes, man, all you got to do is look. <laughs> it's there. There's money laying all <laughs> over the world, you know? Uh, that was just his thing. I mean, that was what he did. And it, famous for it, written lots of books, and, and they're historically accurate. Sometimes there's a lot of braggadocio in that world. Well, there is something uh, adventurous about treasure hunting. I mean, it's, it's, oh, absolutely. it's part of history, number one. It's going back in time. It, it involves uh, treasure. Just the sure. word treasure itself is, uh, is you know, exciting. Well, and, the Gold Coast down on the east coast of Florida is called the Gold Coast because there's several wrecks along there that it, on the right storm conditions, you could be walking down and find a gold chain or wow. a, a piece of eight or something like that. Well, you see still today, I, last time we were in Florida, early in the morning, you see all these guys down there with their metal detectors. Oh, yeah, that's new gold. That's, yeah, well, that's, that's everybody's diamond rings and watches and all yeah. of that. They get drunk and drop their stuff on the beach, you know? <laughs> Treasure's treasure. Yeah, absolutely. And you said you actually found, and your endeavors have found pieces of things down there. Yeah, well, and it's a learning curve. You know, I worked a whole lot of flat hard pan with a metal detector and didn't realize, you know, until they they let you know. I was down there on a couple of consumer-level treasure hunting trips, and you're going across this flat limestone, what we call hard pan, with the metal detector, and you get a hit. And it's hard. I mean, it's like a rock. Yeah. Well, beat it up. Beat a hole in it. And, you know, <laughs> guess what? There might be something down there. Um, but, you know, you'd pass it by. You wouldn't see anything. You'd look in the little cracks and crevices, and there wasn't anything there. So it is a very destructive type of thing when you're doing it. I mean, it's... Especially it's, to coral reefs if you're doing it around a coral Well, yeah, and the, the places, this is mostly sand flats. There's uh-huh. not a lot of reef where they are, but, you know, the, the blowing several tons of sand out of a hole is a is a is a big endeavor uh one thing that is taking place right now there's a ship off the coast of sweden it's on fire i think they've got it under control now but it's another ship loaded with electric vehicles oh boy and uh once they and they said at first they thought they were just a, like you know 40 or 50 it turns out there's 500 electric vehicles on this ship and remember there's one a couple of months ago caught on fire and i i, I never did hear what happened to it yeah but those things catch on fire, you can't put the fire out. Yeah, those batteries, that kind of stuff gets on fire. It's going to be very difficult. Well, you can. I mean, when the boat sinks, yeah. <laughs> eventually the fire goes out. Uh, but uh, Hopefully they got the crew off safely. Yeah, know? I think they did. I mean, once they catch on fire, but the thing is, you know, and I think they say this one's under control now. So I don't know what that means. That it's burned up all the cars or, or what. But... Um, so you've got that is creating new. I mean, the, the, most ships don't sink anymore. The you know there's they have accidents. Yeah, and I've seen video where they run into the dock when they pull in, just like yeah. anything else. 
miscalculations. Uh, but I guess the biggest damage done is by the cruise ships, which are now picking back up in popularity, yeah. getting back out again. Because you said during the height of the, uh, the coronavirus, the, the pandemic, that the, uh, all the, the coral reefs were healing themselves, fish were coming back. Uh, yeah. The, the, it was really a good thing for our oceans. Well, it was a good thing for all of our environment because people were not out traveling around. There weren't as there wasn't as much pressure on any of the environmental. I mean, everybody says all the national parks are better. All everything mm-hmm. was better for the lack of people. And uh, you know, a few divers on a reef don't do a whole lot. Yeah. But ten cruise ships worth of people playing on the beach is a huge environmental impact. Well, and they say that uh, too when they would come to visit, and they would all go out on the beach, and the, um, the acidity level of the water sure. would go up tremendously. Well, it does. I mean, I you know, it's like you're out there on the little floaty mountain, thirty yards from the beach. Who's who's swimming back? You know, <laughs> and they're bringing you drinks. It's like this was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, but, it, but I don't think they're they're still back in the numbers that they were, and which is another good thing. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, from what we've heard, now the n- the new thing that's going on though is the temperature rise in the oceans. I mean, I had people that were spearfishing south of Key West down towards Havana um, just this past week, and they said the water took your breath away when you hit it. It was up in the high eighties. Well, and, and we've never seen it that. In high. fact, uh, there there was reports of it uh, setting uh, records uh, yeah. uh, that it's never been this hot before. Greg and I were talking earlier, though, that there's a lot of volcanic action in, like, the South Pacific and and some other places, and that also has something to do with heating up the water. Yeah, I don't know what effect that would have over on this side of the planet, but overall, the temperatures are going up. I mean, uh, that's that's definitely true. Um, You know, everybody can have their discussion about why they think it's happening, but it it is happening. I mean, when you hit a 100-degree surface water temperature in southern Florida— I've never heard of anything like that. So where are the hurricanes? Because that's one thing that causes hurricanes is water temperature. But we're not still not seeing them coming in. You would think there would be a whole lot yeah, more of that. one after another. Yeah. You'd think it'd be a lot. I mean, and last year was a bad season. There were it was, very bad. So I, I'm on wait and see. We're watching it. Uh, I just planned a trip to go to the Caymans. If anybody wants to go to the Caymans, the first week of December, the, the 6th through the 10th, little three-day trip down there. Give us a call at the dive shop. I'll take you down there and show you a good time. Don't need to take a, a dive suit with you on this one either, right? Ah, uh, well, I I usually bring a suit regardless. Just in case. Yeah, you, just you, in case. It does get chilly, but uh, yep. anyway, how do they get in touch with they want to give go us, to drive? Give us a call at 999 or come by and see us yeah, at 999 better. South Yates and then give us a call at 901-763-3483. Thank you, Randy Wright. Thanks a bunch. That's it for us. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday, same time, same place. We'll see you then.